Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olsen, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Paul Dillinger, Vice President of Global Product Innovation at Levi's. Paul is known for spearheading the denim giant's sustainability efforts, and I had a great time talking to him. In this conversation, we touch upon the need for patience when creating cotton substitutes, his collaboration with the Swedish recycling startup Renewcell, and how technology can enable a richer physical experience in clothing. He also reveals to have quite the great knowledge of the Swedish interior design scene. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility or tech. And every Friday we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and clubhouse sessions. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Paul Dillinger. Enjoy. So I'm here with Paul Dillinger, Vice President of Global Product Innovation at Levi's. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. This is great. You know, Paul, I heard a term the other day which I thought was interesting. And the term was green hushing as opposed to green washing. And I thought this was interesting because in the time we are living in today uh, with the challenges of sustainability, um, it's easy to become sort of um, fatigued in a way about these challenges. But I think what was interesting about what you have done is sort of take this uh, challenge head on and uh, really be um, forward thinking and not be uh, hushing about talking about it. So why has this been so important for you? I think, I mean, the, the best analogy is... is um, uh, or it's not the best analogy, but perhaps a, a good analogy here is the way that we we think about addiction, and the way that we we think about um, people who who suffer from addiction, and how how difficult it is to either confront, uh, or that or then help people move towards positive change, because we often don't want to don't want to have to, you know, uh, when you when you see a friend who's perhaps who drinks too much. You don't really want to talk to them about it because you might drink a little too much yourself. You know, when you have, when you know someone who's who's partying too much and doing drugs, you don't want to be the, the you don't want to be the reason that you don't go to the party anymore. But you 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 have to be honest about the problem. You have to confront people on the problem. We're addicted to um, a pace of consumption that's unhealthy, uh, and. For the in for for me in the industry to to fail to acknowledge that just because it might be uncomfortable, I, I think it does a real disservice to um, the ultimate goal, which is a, a healthier, more balanced way of living and, and a healthier engagement with our natural environment. Uh, we 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 <laughs> you know we can't go around pretending that there's not a problem, 
if we do that, the, the solutions we come up with won't be real solutions. If we, if we don't talk about the scope of the problem, we'll never get our hands um, around solutions that address the true scope. And so it's important to be honest with ourselves, with our friends. Um, by friends, I mean other brands. Friends, I mean the consumers. Friends, I mean the governments that regulate us. Let's not, let's not bullshit ourselves and, 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 and pretend that this or that sustainability initiative or new material or uh, no, no one thing's going to fix it. We've, we've got to do a top to bottom intervention for the industry. Top to bottom intervention. I, I like that. When you arrived at Levi's, what was the job description? What was the challenges defined uh, by then and how has that changed? It's interesting. My, when I first arrived at Levi's, I was in um, uh, another brand, uh, the Dockers brand, which was uh, our, uh, a Chino's brand that you know that focuses on a, a more somewhat more refined, more occasion-driven uh, wearing experience. You know, dressing up for work a little bit. Um, but I, I was brought out to to join that brand. Um, I had been a college professor at the time, um, and they were asking me to come uh, back into the industry. Uh, I had some commitments to the kids I was teaching, and I said, "Well, you know, first of all, you're gonna have, you're gonna bring me out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna still need to finish teaching, and you're gonna need to facilitate that." And they said, "Sure, absolutely." And I said, "And then I'm also gonna want to do something in addition to just being a designer, or in this case, being um, senior director of color concept and premium collection design for a for Dockers. I, I want to do something important. I want to have the space to do to do to use." the industry as a, as a venue for research, for research through practice. So the, I, the, the, the actual role was to come out and do the premium collections of uh, Dockers K1 and, and then this other collection that became Wellthread. And with, the premise of that was uh, start from scratch on something new and make it as sustainably as possible. Make it the most sustainable assortment that you possibly can. Be experimental, don't, don't, don't fear risk, and just you know, um, uh, uh, and 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 don't spare us the truth. Go for the don't 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 do any green hushing. Go for, go for it. And so with that mandate, I said, oh sure, I'll come out and do that. That's not, that's kind of the coolest job in the world. And uh, in fact, it has turned out to be. And, and ten years on, it is um, the these this sort of mandate to be a little disruptive. This opportunity to to tell the truth and and try to go for real change that remains the the. The, the fundamentals of my job. And how has Levi's defined the problem, the challenge, the, the, the things that need to be done? Uh, you know, it, it, one of the things I respected about Levi's prior to coming to the company was that they, um, is that they invested in new knowledge. They invested in, the, they were one of the first companies to invest in, in a comprehensive life cycle assessment. Uh, it had been, the first one had been published, I believe, in 2007. And in that assessment, it, it took account for, uh, the company took account for its impact at the, at, the, at the one product level. So measuring the impact of one product across a, uh, seven or eight different stages in, its, in the life cycle of the garment, accounting for material creation, material as, as, um, or fiber creation, material assembly, garments assembly, shipping, logistics, um, distribution, retail, uh, um, uh, trim, trim sundry packaging. You've got the consumer experience, and then finally end of life resolution, and that that they were bold enough to see, to invest in knowing their own impact, 
and then to make it an open source tool for all the companies out there that maybe couldn't afford a similarly robust uh, research exercise, they they put their they put the truth online for people to see. And it wasn't an, uh, it wasn't a pretty truth. You know, they were willing to be honest with a, a somewhat not damning but eye opening truth because this is this is fairly early on in the sustainability conversation. And then most importantly, at the time I joined, they were in the progress of a second one. You know. It's some years later, let's let's see how we're doing, right? That, that we're, it wasn't just a one, one moment in time, one point of information, but they were going to measure again and see what the delta was, see if the, and in, in fact, with refinements in the data collection, the, the data that came back was actually indicated over time more impact that for all the efforts, you know, the launch of the waterless initiatives and other things, there's actually just because we were be got better at, at understanding the problem, the report that came back wasn't wasn't better. It didn't show progress. It simply showed a more thorough accounting that showed greater impact. And it's based on that understanding of greater impact. Once you know and you socialize uh, information like you know one gene over its life uses seven thousand or excuse me, excuse me, uses three thousand seven hundred and eighty-one liters of fresh water. Once that becomes a, a socialized truth that everyone understands. You cannot help but act against that truth. You cannot help but embrace the programs. They're going to change that truth into, into something that's more, that's something that's not more sustainable, something that's sustainable. Because frankly, um, water impact of that scale for unit volume of our size means that we're using an extraordinary amount of fresh water. Now, it gives us then also the opportunity to, 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 to pick an area. For me, the, I see that the areas of greatest impact in, in that equation is the fiber creation, the, the growing growing cotton. Um, others in the in the production space see their opportunity to create change by looking at the finishing and the in the in the how we wash the garment. So everyone can take ownership of one of the of an initiative that will change that truth. But everyone starts with the same truth, and I think that's a really powerful and important tool and important way of approaching. Like I said, being honest about the problem, having a little intervention with yourself. That's that's. Um, and that's and we and so we use science to drive our our initiatives. We use we use science to understand the most important initiatives to tackle, and we take those on first. Wonderful. So so let's walk through some of the initiatives that you've done uh, at, at at Levi's, and what are some of the most uh, the, the ones that you're most uh, proud of that you have accomplished? There there are, there are, I think there are two to highlight that are I'm, I think are ex I think are meaningful for their potential to change not just Levi's. But the industry, um, uh, the first is is an, uh, a, a research project we initiated about five years past. But it's product that came to market in a small way in um, in the spring of 2019, and it was called cottonized hemp. Uh, and and for a long time, um, uh, the uh, you know I think you know Stockholm Environmental Institute published a report on on the rel comparative health of. Uh, conventional cotton against um, polyester against um, against hemp as apparel fiber, and it demonstrated it showed in that report that um, that there, the the cultivation conditions for hemp just by the fundamental nature of the weed itself of the of the plant itself that that it was a um, that had tremendous uh, environmental value. Um, per the the Stockholm um, Environmental Institute. Uh, Report said about 50% less uh, land use, or 50% greater yield per, per per hectare, 
uh, you know, you're, you're not using the same uh, chemical inputs like in pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers, so ending up with much healthier soil and, and also tremendous water savings. And we, we started looking at hemp that was um, rain-fed, European rain-fed hemp, uh, that had basically no water footprint. So taking that big piece of the problem, which was the 2,565 liters per garment spent on conventional cotton, and then and, and turning it in, uh, into by turning it into hemp, we can we can really make a make a dent in that water impact. Now the challenge with hemp, and a lot of people have been angry that the industry hasn't used more hemp. And I'm like, well, hemp is terrible uh, it, for your your looms. Hemp hemp feels terrible on your body. I don't know if you've ever worn a conventional hemp garment. It's like wearing a burlap sack. It's like you feel like a potato because you're dressed like a potato. You know, it's. Um, and also the fact that the, the nature of the fiber itself, it does not have an elongation when you turn it into a yarn. A cotton, because you're spinning it like a little coil, it elongates when you weave it. And so all of our, all of our cotton looms are, are set up to accommodate a type of yarn that will extend and stretch and, and recover and stretch and recover in the, in the weaving process. Now when you replace it, if you just replace it with, with hemp, as many of my environmentally ac environmental activist friends have been telling me to do for so many years, you, you sh just shake your loom to pieces, it just shakes, shakes it right apart. It cannot handle weaving without the elongation of cotton. So the, the trick is not how do you, not let, let's make clothes with hemp, how do we coax hemp into being nicer? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we suggest hemp that it become a little friendlier? How do you, um, how do you, uh, you know, how do you process the fibers and, and, and what decortication methods do you use that are both environmentally friendly but are going to create a hemp fiber that is more cotton-like? You know, just be like cotton. And that took quite a bit of work to, to, to figure out how the best way to, to, to separate the fibers, to work with them in a, in a non-conventional spinning way, to blend them with some amount of cotton so that there was some opportunity for elongation. And it was a three or four year research project just to find a fiber. And in the end, what we were trying to do was not to design a new value, but to find a fiber that when it showed up, it didn't look like it had been designed at all. We were only trying to, you know, trick hemp into being a little bit more like cotton so that in the end of the day, we had a five-year research and development process that delivered a yarn quality that was, by design, indistinguishable. Like, that, you know, that, that this is an, an exercise in intentional design that doesn't the, the, the end result is nothing. Like that's what our goal is, to not have you know that something radical has happened and to give you something really meaningful, but at its face value in terms of the, you know, the way that the consumer is intended to re re interact, interact with it, you, would, you don't even know it's there. That's, that's the, the, one of the keys and also one of the challenges in sustainable design is convincing designers to put as much energy as possible on, not, on, on disappearing. Right, put all of your time and thought on something that will that ideally just never shows up. That's sort of counterintuitive to the design mind. Um, it's, you know, we like to show up, the designers. Uh, and so it started as this idea. Uh, it became a very small piece of product in spring 2019. But we did all this research. We got we figured out how to you know we worked with partners and figured out how to spin and weave it. We didn't figure out how to dye it. It was so this spring product was a beautiful white denim. Because you can't expect huge revolutions to take place in the closet every season. You know, you've got revolutions, or you've got to space them out a little bit. We don't learn how to do everything all at once. We had to be diligent and mindful and pursue sequential innovation. 
So the, the second season, it was a beautifully dyed dark indigo. The third season, it was a beautifully dyed dark indigo with cottonized hemp that was, had finishing and beautiful washes and color loss and abrasion. It wasn't until maybe the fourth season that it became a program, a big program. It took, it took three seasons of research through practice and research through commercialization to prepare us to then eventually launch. Out of this small capsule, out of this small idea, it became one of the major marketing initiatives and major product, um, uh, product spends, product uh, investments for the company in, in fall 2020. So it was only after four, you know, three years of d disciplined research, but then four, uh, four seasons of, of thoughtful, intentional merchandising and intentional assortment building that, that the good idea eventually became the meaningful idea and that the consumer could, you know, anywhere in the world could get a pair of. And I think that unlocked both the, the time it takes to make real change happen and the idea that that time is in no way compatible with a fashion cycle. You know, fashion cycles want the newness immediately and, and they want radical newness each season. We can't become a, you know, we can't start serving up fast sustainability. That's just not an option. And so the most meaningful piece of this, of one approach, this, this, this new fiber um, scenario was getting the company on board with this sort of a, a slower cultivation time and the idea that meaningful change takes maybe four seasons of the same idea to refine it and present it actually at it. and then eventually you get it to a scale where it becomes comfortably handled, it's no longer new, it's just another you know, piece of the handwriting of the company. And we're in a similar process right now with a great recycling technology that's based in um, uh, Christenham outside of Stockholm. It's, uh, the company's called Renewacell. And what they've done is they've figured out a way to take old genes and turn them into a new fiber that we've used to make new genes. And we've sent these new genes back to the Christenham facility to confirm that they can become new genes again, right? That, that, that not only are we using the, a second generation material, but we've designed it in a way mindful of, of all the sort of strict, um, the, the strict technical parameters that make it an optimized input for a third generation, and then obviously then a fourth generation. And, and so that, we are in the earlier stages of that. We've, you know, we've, we just delivered that first gene um, that was confirmed made out of old genes, and it just, it just came, um, came to the stores last fall. Uh, and so now we're in that, again, that, that iterative uh, seasonal design improvement, design extension, design upgrade process. And so I think you can expect exciting new, new product to come um, out of that. But it's, um, it, 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 once again, it's a gene that is as soft and comfortable as you would want a pair of jeans to be. They're, it feels like a great old pair of, of Levi's. But it's a radical new technology that's never been seen in denim before and that we've proven that it can be picked up and recirculated. But again, not with, without asking the consumer to buy a sustainable aesthetic, they are simply buying a great pair of jeans. And the sustainability is this invisible through line. I think that's that's really interesting, and obviously we're really proud of what Renew Cell has done, and and that they're able to work uh, with you guys on on that type of, of scale. Um, and but I'm curious though, I, I think what you what you what you're saying is really interesting, and and it goes into something I've I've seen as well is that the the work in, in in sort of innovations and the work in sustainability goes sort of in two ways. One is sort of a very very sort of engineering innovation you know technical advancements really looking into the future 
on the other hand we're, we're going sort of back to the roots in a way it's about the the feeling in the garment the, the feeling of the product is about something that that has to be uh, rooted in something that we you know we've had for decades and in your case even centuries what do you think of the challenges that are more like a traditional fashion brand that are more into sort of the the cycles of trends and so forth uh, you know how would you how would they adapt to to this type of thinking when they are about maybe creating new type of garments whereas uh, for you guys it's more about you know sustaining and replacing the old right i think that's an important question because oftentimes um uh, we we understand sustainability from an aesthetic perspective uh, that we think you know the garment can either be cute or can be ethical right or that and that that um and that's that's a really false um it's a false dichotomy it's a false choice because you know a garment can be cute or trendy you know stylish of the moment it can be cute or it can be ugly a garment can be ethical or unethical so ethical and cute is certainly an option unethical and ugly is an option but there's no such thing as neutral in the terms of the ethics there's no it's like the opposite of an ethically made garment is not an ethically neutral garment it's unethical so you you and you don't get to position yourself somewhere on the continuum you have to position your intentions to either be ethical or no i'm not ethical i'm unethical and i think that's the false choice that a lot of or the, the choice that a lot of companies have misunderstood is that is that the the idea is i can i can pursue sustainability i can uh, you know, I've oh, I've I have um, consumer insights that now tell me sustainability is important to inform the shopping choices of my consumer. Therefore, I will pursue sustainability. Or, you know, the, the consumer insights tell me that it's not really that important. They say it's important, but they don't shop like it's important. And so, I won't pursue sustainability. Now, th the choice to not pursue sustainability is the choice to sit on the unethical extreme of that continuum. Now, no one's going to get it right and deliver the perfect ethical garment. From not from a fashion brand, not from a heritage brand, no one. But it's about intention and the choice of where you put yourself. So even if you are making, um, for the moment, uh, you know, you know, trendy blouses and and fun, you know, fun tops and you know, meant for of the moment, today's color, today's silhouette, today's detail. Um, you know, you can do that in a way that degrades the environment, or you can do that in a way that preserves the environment. You can make their material assembly choices that you can make that will enable that garment you know let's say it's a, 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 a you know a, some a polyester crepe de chine right okay fine is it a polyester button is it a polyester label is it polyester thread is it only polyester interfacing what let's say it's a, it's a cute little it's a nylon board short for I'm assuming okay is it is it nylon thread? Is it nylon lining? Is it nylon labeling? Is it nylon zipper? Right? There way you can make sharp, smart choices to enable um, similar materiality on all components so that whatever you're doing, if it's in the, in, in the synthetic space, is going to be picked up as a clean input for um, a synthetic recycling system and, and, and avoid any pollutant that might come from um, dissimilar material uh, uh, assembly. Now, those are, those are decisions that you can make as a designer if, in fact, the construct of your business does not enable slow merchandising, thoughtful purchasing by the consumer for long-term wear. If those aren't features of your business, they need to be, and you better get there eventually. But in the meantime, just be smart. Be smart and thoughtful and, and, and disciplined and diligent about how you assemble the garment. So even if, it, even if you're participating in an unhealthy consumption cycle, 
you're, 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 you're doing so with the healthiest inputs possible. That, 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 is, that can be done, but so often the pace of the output, the, the number of styles that a designer is expected to, expected to deliver, or the complexity of being specific and intentional with every choice very, gets in the way. The, the supply chains themselves aren't set up to, you know, they're like, oh, you need interfacing? We have your interfacing quality. I'm like, no, actually, it needs to be a quality that matches the materiality of the shell, and that's not always the case. You know, you, the, 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 you know, the buttons are often default decisions. The zippers, the tape material is rarely considered. You know, the, you know, the, for, for the, for both the cottonized hemp and the, um, and the, uh, and the Renewasol product, you know, getting the, uh, getting my supply chain on to understand, no, you have to use a cotton red tab because if you put a polyester red tab that will show up as an unresolvable pollutant 10 years down the road when I try to recycle that and I, and, and you know, but it's, 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 it's out of, it's, if it's not part of normal business practice, it takes a lot of retraining in order to get everyone on board with the idea that we're going to be smart and thoughtful with our decisions. So it, it can be done in brands that are more, you know, more focused on fashion. It just t takes work and it takes a lot of kind, thoughtful uh, energy directed at the re-education uh, in the supply chain that's for many reasons for speed and, and optimization. It, it goes quickly on sort of default decision making. I thought it was interesting you, you have a background in education as well, because I think if you're in this sort of position right now, there, there's a lot of education to be done to, I'm sure, your co-workers, to your suppliers, to the industry, perhaps you're even your, your, your superiors. Uh, how, do, how do you look at this and how, how much percentage of your time do you think about how to convey messages around these subjects? Yeah. It's, uh Compelling stories and storytelling are the key for this position. Um, you know, first of all, we've all seen you know we, we've all seen too many sustainability advertising campaigns that feel like a sad lecture. Um, there's there is a sad truth behind all of this, but if you want to get buy-in and if you want to coalesce energy, um, just the sad pictures aren't always the best way to to. To, um, to bring people along. The, the optimism of the alternative, um, the potential of the solution, rather than just always you know, sh shaking your finger and talking about the, the dire consequences of inaction. You have to, you have to, you have to be, a, you, you don't want to be, you want to be the, be, the, be the professor that everybody likes. Be the cool professor. Don't be the mean professor. Don't be the person who's always guilt, providing guilt or providing shame, <laughs> right? But, and then recognize when the audience doesn't want to hear and try a different tact. And at the end of the day, the, you know, we see with our eyes, we purchase with our touch, with our hands, and we want something beautiful. And I think just trying to re-educate re people around this idea that um, the sustainable item is not aesthetically deficient. It is not, it's not scratchy. It's not rough. It's not uncomfortable. It can be elegant. It can be lush, it can be beautiful, it can be anything you want the fashion experience to be, it can be delivered. You just have to work a little harder for it, but it's a it's it's work worth doing. And I think people respond to that. I think also you, you know you have to you have to be careful, especially when um, when when talking up, when trying to influence up, that um, that you know you don't try to oversell the potential or the need rather for sustainability as something that's 
cost neutral. Don't try to um, undersell the complexity of it. Don't try to say, oh yeah, we can we can we can make it we can make our whole business sustainable. We can do it for free. You can't. So much of the unsustainable problem is about um, uh, unregul uncontrolled, uh, 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 indifferent uh, deferral of cost into the field, into the into the um, factory communities. Uh, you know, it's a hidden cost and sunk cost that we're trying that we work hard to make sure never show up on the real on the books when it comes to the actual garment. And and trying to just about getting re getting a little honest around the, the idea that it can that it's it's hard it's going to be hard work and it's not going to be cost neutral, but then but then you can get people to buy in once you once you you know demonstrate what the optimistic and positive result will be. You can't. I don't think you're ever going to be effective trying to create uh, trying to create sustainable change if um, if if it's only. Uh, Warnings about a punishment, and it's not a promise of a of a reward, because that's what we're hoping for. I mean, the reward we want is a blue sky, clean oceans, and you know, healthy forests. Who's mad at that? I mean, everyone wants that. Wonderful. So, uh, you you mentioned before about uh, sort of uh, you know in efforts to be transparent and uh, bring about uh, knowledge to other players in the industry. Uh, how do you go about doing that? You know, I have a, I have a, I have a saying that if in the case of Levi's, we've done all this great work and uh, around uh, water savings, specifically in the industrial processing of the, and, 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 and garment finishing stages, how to um, achieve the same look and feel of the product that we've always done, but, but, but by reimagining the, the, the finishing processes and the cadence and, and staging of the finishes. And when we did that, in addition to the life cycle assessment that I spoke of earlier, which we made an open source tool. We also published our, all of the techniques to execute the water savings in the finishing. Uh, because I, really, at the end of the day, like, you can't think of these things as competitive advantages. If you, if you, as a company, figure out a way to save water and you don't tell everyone you can about it, you're an asshole. Like, if, you don't sh if you don't promote these opportunities to other companies so that everyone can save water, if you, if you make saving water the way that you're better than other people and they, they can't save water, then you don't really care about water, do you? You care about um, commercial competitive advantage. And that's the problem. So we, you know, we're, we're excited. I mean, we're really, we were really proud that we were the second to the market uh, with Renewacell. I mean, it's great that H&M was the first to the market. And it's going to be great when everyone else can get to the market with that, too. We don't want to be the only people working on these problems. Because if we are, that's not a solution, unless, of course, um, Levi's becomes the only apparel brand in the world. I mean, we're not mad at that either. That could that could be fine. But in 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 the current climate where there are other players, we need everyone to be doing better. And I think um, hiding your hiding these successes and keeping them from other people, you know, that's why that's one of the reasons I, we can just we say that it's okay when we have these new initiatives like Cottonized Hemp to really tell people about it, to let the world know what we're doing. Not because we want a pat on the back. Like, we get a pat on the back when our jeans fit great. Like, we get a pat on the back when you, when you look good and, and, and feel great when you go out to, um, to the concert and, you know, someone asks you on a date, right? That's the payment, payment we want. We, the, the whole telling everyone about it, the whole shouting about it, and it's not for getting industry accolades, it's for getting the industry to know what we're doing so that they too can go out to the mills and say, tell me about that hemp. Like what? What? Tell me. I want, to, I want to see what Levi's is doing on that hemp, and and that's what's happening. And and we hear what other brands are doing, and we explore that. And the more we can talk to each other and 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 and, and, sh and share technology. Now, I mean, I'm going to try to be first. 
I'm gonna try to I'm, I'm gonna try I'm gonna make sure that it's the cutest gene out there but um, but you know that's that's my job as a designer but I want to be first sometimes but I don't want to be the only one to working on anything Let's circle back to recycling in a bit. I'm curious where you see this is going. And obviously the, the last number I heard was we're at about 1% of, of recycled uh, garments globally. Obviously that's too little. Um, uh, I, you know, I have a vision that, you know, in, in the sort of recycling rooms in our apartment house and so forth, we should have, it should be as natural to have a, a textile bin as, as we have sort of newspapers and, and aluminum and, and all these other uh, things. What's stopping us from having sort of a, a cotton bin, a polyester bin? And what's your vision for this in the next sort of five to 10 years? Yeah, the, 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 I mean, when you say the cotton bin and polyester bin, the way that we have a metal bin and a, that, yeah, the, the, the problem there is that there's no such thing as an all cotton garment, really. There, there's just a few out there. We know we've been trying to make them for years and they're hard to do. Similarly, there's very few all polyester garments. Uh, so first, the, the, one of the barriers is a disciplined design that understands that, uh, that single fiber assembly has value, that for optimized um, recycling efficiency, there needs to be a different and better way to design. We need uh, research and development to deliver the same quality of performance from bio-derived, bio-based um, uh, polymers that we're getting out of from petrochemical polymers so that we can still deliver um, uh, certain performance or stretch attributes that we attribute that we think of with polyester and spandex so that a consumer can still get a great you know wicking temperature management high stretch gene that may be only 80% cotton 15% bio-derived polymer and 5% bio-derived stretch polymer that would be a, a great win that we wouldn't have to worry about these mixed materials then there's this whole absence of um, technology that's been, there's absence of scaled technology, I'm sorry, um, that is able to recognize and sort and deconstruct and decouple materials before they go into their recycling streams. Then there's the fact that the, the, the technologies themselves aren't fully, um, fully mature to, in, to, like, you know, Renewacell, we have these genes on the market, but that we're, and we have to have this slow, disciplined, engagement and, and to cultivate them and, and, and help them come to scale but you know there's off the, the feedstock is is inconsistent and the appetite's inconsistent and then you don't have great infrastructure obviously and then all of this is is, is relates to a you know effect that um, that one percent would be two percent if we bought less shit like that one we would you know the the, the behavior of recycling could could double as a percentage of the total um, uh, of the total tonnage of waste if we cut our waste in half. Uh, do and so, I think a, a lot of sort of the, the soft sustainability messages that are really meaningful that Levi's puts out there about reuse, about repair, about um, uh, you know extending the life of the garment to so much of like you know so much of what gets thrown away is has has tremendous value and it and it speaks to Levi's position in this place when we say that you know Levi's um, holds its value in the secondhand market at, um, as a percentage of its original purchase price uh, better than any other any other you know five, a pair of 501s has has great value if you think of a pair of you know the jean from one of our fast fashion competitor if you see them in a secondhand store against a pair of 501s the the the, the price put on that jean by that store is, is a much higher price for the Levi's and that's great but that indicates um, the potential for any brand if they put their stake in the ground uh, around lasting material value and promote a, uh, patterns of ownership that, um, that uh, 
that that um, that celebrate that value and that discourage people from wasting. If you can reduce that terrible number of of tons of how many, remember many, hundreds or millions of tons of of textile waste into the landfill just by changing consumption and, and, and ownership behavior. That's the easiest way to start. Um, because all those other things I listed, the infrastructure issues, the sorting issues, the actual recovery technologies, and then the design challenges around single fiber usage, those are all very much more complex challenges than, hmm, that's maybe, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't throw that gene away. I mean, that's the, that's the, real, the real opportunity for impact is to change the way the behaviors, the, the, change the way the consumers engage with recycling behavior and, and ask them to maybe maybe don't wash your garments as much, don't dry them, let them live and last longer, trade them, share them, but God, don't throw them away. So, uh, you know, the, the issue of sustainability is obviously a problem at scale and the solutions have to be at scale as well. And that's why I think it's really important what you guys are doing. But, you know, there are a lot of smaller brands out there. Uh, so and, and we have several, you know, H&M aside, we have several sort of smaller to medium sized brands in the Nordics that are uh, struggling with these issues. What, what advice would you have to a, a smaller brand, you know, when they, if they want to be thoughtful and engage in this, in this issue, what, what steps can they take? Gosh, it, it, it feels a little inauthentic for an American to discuss uh, being thoughtful <laughs> with Scandinavian design culture. I mean, I think of the, the, the first expression of Scandinavian or Nordic design that I can, that I was think, I can think of is um, uh, you know, when the, when the, when all of the churches converted from Catholicism to Lutheranism, and they just took out all of the decorative accessories and just designed the place to be white with no statues, like just simplify. <laughs> uh, that's a fundamental Nordic principle to me that I think doesn't need to be retaught. Um, and you know, I think that the the, the when I think about the you know the history of, of Scandinavian design, there are the 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 the, the, the masterworks of say Arosan and. and Alvarado, like the, the big, the grandiosity. But I'd like to think of people like Anna Jakobsen and um, Hans Wegner and, and Jens Reisam, sort of designers of objects that were pure and clean but friendly, and that seemed effortlessly at home in a in, in a in a neat but casual lifestyle. And I think about contemporary designers that don't reference that 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 are simply of the same cultural tradition, like Per Soderberg from, um, from No Early Birds. Yeah, that, that, it's a Swedish design um, shop. That's of that same tradition, of that same tradition of whitewashing the cathedral walls or making that perfect, simple, friendly chair, um, doing, that, doing that same thing, that same thought line and through line uh, from, from you know, the Re Reformation up to today. So where is that um, aesthetic and business model for fashion, and I think I think some of the Scandinavian brands have an opportunity to be that in ways that others don't. I think you know the um, the singular perfection of an acne sweatshirt. It's something simple, and it's and it doesn't change. And you've got that wonderful pink every season, and then you've got a couple other things every season. And there's a simplicity and a purity and a friendliness to that business model. I think those the uh, the the, so the just be Nordic, be be. <laughs> be the fundamental design character that you already have. And I think that, that, that it is perfectly aligned with the needs of sustainable consumption and, um, and thoughtful design to support it. I think, it's, I think it's there, far more so than in the United States, perhaps. 
All right, Paul, thank you so much. I, I want to end with a, a couple of questions on technology and I want to be mindful of, of your time. Uh, you have been moving, uh, you know, doing some projects when it comes to sort of marrying uh, clothes and garments with technology. And uh, just a two-part question, do you see that continuing, sort of infusing technology in physical garments? Uh, and and sort of beyond that, is there is there space for for Levi's in sort of you know purely digital worlds? We see you know uh, platforms like Roblox and Fortnite. Uh, when I look at my daughter, where she's meeting her friends, she's hanging out in these digital platforms, and she needs her allowance to go to digital goods and digital garments and and skins and stuff. Uh, so two part question: uh, Where do you see this going? You know, I do see that there will be, I believe there will be a continuation of the, of the integration of technology into the physical garment itself. Um, it won't always be uh, for explicit um, uh, ex explicit activation like we had in, the, in, the, in our collaboration with Google, where, you know, touch-sensitive yarns woven into the jean jacket allowed you to access your phone via Bluetooth through gesture. Like, that was, that's a very, that's a very elaborate uh, but compelling um, application of technology and garment. There will, there will be that, um, you know, but it's, in, again, uh, um, unlike the, the, unlike your question about the digital platforms, I think it's more about how, how technology enables a richer physical experience, IRL experience. Um, and there's also the opportunity for uh, the, the digital passport, the, the uh, digital identity of the garment being deeply embedded into the garment, either at a actual cellular level or an applied technology level so that um, transparency and knowing, knowing the full and complete story of a garment's life, uh, not just, you know, its commercial life, who's owned it in a trading scenario, but also it's, you know, what field did that cotton come from? Like that, those sorts of questions. I think that is definitely um, only going to become a more urgent um, expectation uh, of clothes. In terms of how the objects sit in the physical world, you know, I mean, sorry, the physical objects sit in the digital world. It's, it's a compelling opportunity um, and one that we can't, simply can't ignore. Uh, I know we've, we've been asked to, you know, partner on a project here or there that would have placed Levi's product in, in, some, in some video games, you know. Uh, and, you know, the ones that I've been asked to participate in to bring uh, my, some of our product into, you know, they've been first-person shooter video games. And, and what I really like is that Levi's recognizes that gaming is a bigger industry than film. And when offered the opportunity to be one of the biggest titles in gaming, because it was a first-person shooter game, we don't go there. Our values against, uh, our values around um, uh, gun violence and, and, and gun, uh, gun safety issues are so absolute that we decline the opportunity to participate because it's against our values. Now, that's not always going to be the case. There may be perfectly friendly video games that we can be, be part of, or um, we could show up in, in, in benign um, digital platforms. But um, the, the, the attributes of a Levi's 501 and the, the, and the shrink to fit denim are subtle, and they're nuanced, and they're precious and, and beautiful for a denim designer. And I think they're, they've proven themselves in, in their value to the broader uh, consuming community. Um, the, the, the special twist, the special cotton, the special weave, and the special dye that execute that rich, kind of slightly red cast, slightly textured heritage construction that you know from a great pair of Levi's has yet to be rendered digitally. It has yet to be captured. Its full value has, has never been um, uh, expressed in any medium other than 
the garment itself. And uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pass on the actual digital presence question when we show up digitally because in. in until the experience can be as rich, or until the experience at least appreciates the richness and nuance of the IRL object, I kind of don't want to um, have to go through that reduction in value just to show up in a place that I'm not sure has really proven itself yet. All right, Paul Dillinger, Vice President of Global Product Innovation at Levi's, thank you so much for speaking to me. All right, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Eric Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights, and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement. Thank you.